Welcome to Health Systems CIO's interview with Hunter Barber, Chief Information Security Officer with WVU Medicine. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Hunter, thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me, Anthony. All right. Um, Hunter, you want to start off by telling me a little bit about your organization and your role? Uh, yes, sir. So as Chief Information Security Officer, uh, I'm responsible for um, pretty much the security of all assets and, and data uh, within the health system. Um, that includes managed devices, unmanaged devices, uh, IoT, IOMT, um, and uh, setting policies and procedures around uh, the use of that data and and how we handle that with uh, with our regulatory organizations. Um, I have a a really strong governance team uh, with privacy, compliance, HR, uh, and uh, you know our insurance uh, legal team, uh, where we meet on the regular basis to go over. Uh, governance and issues that we're running into throughout the health system, um, but it's a it's a wide array. We are uh, at this point 25 um, hospitals uh, in the neighborhood of 800 850 clinics. Uh, that's ambulatory and and other clinics, and then um, we have of course uh, some uh, different uh, institutions that we do uh, special special research. Mm-hmm. Uh, such as like uh, neuroscience, heart and vascular, things like that. So uh, we have a pretty robust program around research and and, and development um, within the healthcare space. All right, very good. I want to start with an open ended question and just kind of see what's on your mind. What are some of either the the trends you're looking at, uh, things you're working on? Just sort of what's what's a couple things that are top of mind for you right now. Yeah, right now, um, I'll tell you the the emergence of conversational AI, uh, the emergence of, of that into the healthcare industry, I think is um, d- both disruptive um, and also something that we're having to address right away. Uh, your larger firms, uh, such as Microsoft, has announced they're you know kind of partnering with you know ChatGPT and. Uh, you know, AI platforms such as that. So we're got, we're having to adapt uh, to that and adapt our policies and procedures around how we handle uh, AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have an internal uh, AI uh, group within W Medicine that we we build and uh, develop our own AI is is groundbreaking and is amazing. Uh, has created. Uh, lots of different avenues for us to uh, pull data um, and make uh, make the lives of physicians easier uh, and the lives of our physicians. So there is a place for AI. Um, it's just that I think uh, a measured approach is needed. Uh, so that's something that is on the radar. Um, you know, the, F, the new FDA... Um, you know, announcement uh, where they are kind of uh, setting the bar uh, differently for biomedical devices. I think that is going to be hopefully a major turn in how we, how the you know biomedical industry uh, deals with uh, you know the FDA approvals, and therefore protecting you know making it easier to protect our network and our assets 
um, because, you know, the products are uh, better designed. Um, programming should be better, things like that. So uh, biomedical, IoT, IOMT devices are, are, are another, uh, you know, big area that, that uh, is of interest. Um, and then we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, activity over, you know, targeting healthcare from outside. Uh, so we do see a lot of, you know, information, you know, a lot of information coming from the outside world, specifically targeting critical infrastructure, which healthcare now, you know, kind of falls in, the, in that space. Um, and so we are constantly under threat uh, from outside entities. Um, and that's that's one big. Um, so that's kind of your top three. OK, so AI was the first one, right? So yes, let's sir. go into that a little bit more. Um, there's a lot of interesting challenges around AI. So you, you you talked a little bit about you've got your organization, your clinicians. These are smart people and they want to try stuff and they want to do cool things. And yep. AI is something pretty cool. And there's a lot of cloud stuff out there. And so it's kind of easy for them to either spend a departmental budget or whip out a credit card and just get going, right? Without even letting IT or IT security know what they're up to. Right. So you've got that kind of a concept. And then on the other side, you have a concern that bad actors will able, be able to leverage AI to write better phishing emails. And I'm sure there's even more advanced uses they're going to come up with than that, right? Oh, yeah. That's sort of the real basic one. I mean, they might be using AI to, to hack infusion pumps. You know, how do I hack this pump? Who, who the heck knows? But um, so, so you do have kind of both those scenarios, right? You have what your organization wants to do with AI, which can be of concern, and what the bad actors are going to do with AI. Right. Yeah. So AI, I believe, in the next 10 years, artificial intelligence controlled within the internal, you know, you're using it internally with your applications and your databases, um, and it's controlled. I mean, it will revolutionize um, how we do healthcare. I strongly believe that uh, we need to be prepared for it, and we need to be able to to be agile and move into that space. Um, from the outside world, how it's going to be used um, from our bad actors is uh, yet to be understood fully, I think, with quantum computing coming along faster than, um, you know, faster than we thought it would. I think within the next two to three years, you have a real problem when quantum computing becomes more mainstream and AI can be used against in that fashion. Um, so the threat of AI is, is definitely something that we all need to be aware of. And as healthcare systems, we need to be talking about this um, in conjunction with each other. Um, you know, how, you know, what is one health system doing that another health system make and uh, make and use the same time? Um, and I don't think a lot of that conversation is going on. I don't think we talk enough about our, uh, you know, interests. Uh, w Medicine is very open with our partners, our other healthcare systems, healthcare systems about uh, our, the threats that we're seeing and how that affects us and giving that information to other healthcare systems because at the end of the day, we're all in the uh, So it's important that we share information. 
we don't get that information timely enough from the government. Um, you know, I've talked with F- FBI, you know, HHS, those type organizations. They're doing a lot of analyzation, you know, the analyzation of the data or analyzing of the data. And so the the threat reports don't get out to us as quickly as we would like. That's something we're trying to work with the FBI on um, and, and get a group within healthcare that can uh, get get these threats um, and actionable intelligence uh, more quickly. So kind of a long answer there to a short question, but. Well, it's good stuff. It's good stuff in there. Um, And this is where I'll hit my level of understanding. When you talk about AI and quantum computing sort of coming together, is that like a perfect storm you're talking about to give bad actors uh, you know, it's really going to free them up to do bad things when those two come together. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I think so. Quantum computing is going to be something that's something we're preparing for. um, And NIST is preparing for, you know, uh, coming in the next. It's probably they say 10 years, but it's probably more like five years where the mainstream or you and I could go out and buy or produce a, a, you know, a machine that has the ability to do to do quantum uh, calculations. Um, that's that's going to be become more readily available. So with more computing power, um, you're going to get AI that is is going to be able to to learn faster. It's going to be able to move more quickly. Um, and depending on how you train it, I mean, there's a lot to that AI. How you train it, what your what kind of information you're feeding it, um, all of that matters quite a bit, but. Uh, if you are, if you know, if you have a, if you're a nation state actor, or you are a a, a, a well funded uh, organization that, on behalf of a nation state, um, that being able to train AI to get it to write scripts and uh, look at code and look for weaknesses in that code, I think that's a real possibility and something that our endpoint detection and response providers and antivirus. Um, our, our, you know, firewall companies, those kind of companies, I think they're already working on that, what that looks like to be able to prevent those threats. All right. So it's interesting because these tools are as available to the good guys as they are to the bad guys. And sitting there in a health system, I would imagine that you were just hoping and uh, encouraging your vendors to be as savvy with these tools as the bad guys that are coming after you. Cause it's not you, right? You're not going to figure right. this out. It's your vendors. So you have to have the relationship where you're like, Hey guys, what are we doing over here? Right. Cause, cause they're coming at me. So make sure we're using these tools just as well. Yeah. So we're already, I mean, we are already talking to our vendors about the, these things. Uh, they're already preparing for, you know, um, the different, you know, uh, the different modifications that'll be coming down the road for, you know, how do they deal with heuristic analysis now? How does, how does, does that change that, that side of the industry? Um, do we have AI that's as smart as the AI that is going to be, you know, uh, producing, uh, results that, that could be against us? We have to have the same, um, level of, of precision and accuracy uh, as the bad guys do. And, and so I think that's something that's very much on the table for uh, your firewall vendors and 
um, you know, even networking vendors, you know, how do, how do they, you know, how do they produce networking equipment that can help with these things? So those conversations are being had within the healthcare space. Well, within the entire industry, all, you know, all verticals are concerned about, uh, you know, the AI situation. Um, it's something that's going to come. We have to be prepared for it, uh, but it's definitely uh, um, something where we need to do as much research as possible so that we're ready when the time comes uh, to react. Yeah, it, it makes me think that uh, you really have to be up on this cutting edge stuff. I mean, this is stuff that the the smartest people in the world, uh, both on the good side and the bad side, you know, there's really smart oh, yeah. people on the bad side, are doing. And it's almost like you have to immerse yourself in this stuff so you can speak about it intelligently to your board and your CEO and not that you need to, you know, know how to make a quantum computer, but you need to have some level of understanding of what's going on. And that's going to be changing almost weekly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so, you know, we do kind of a internal roundtable um, each week that where we, uh, the our incident response team and uh, CTO, CIO uh, and CISO, we kind of get together to talk about, OK, what's new and emerging in the marketplace what have you, you know, what have you seen over the past week? Uh, so we like to keep uh, abreast of any new technology um, way before it becomes mainstream. Mm-hmm. So uh, with, you know, with the AI, we saw that coming months before it got to the point where they're going to release this to the public and say, hey, we're, we're building partnerships. Um, so that's one thing we do. And we, we have to stay very educated on that. Um, so you're, you've got all kinds of feeds coming into your mailbox, uh, to be able to to keep up with the daily, uh, you know, the daily threats and and what's new, that sort of thing. So you have to stay up on it and stay educated. That's for sure. Right. And that's where your threat intelligence vendors help, right? Yeah, we, yeah. So we use several threat intelligence vendors that, that provide us, you know, what's that, what's out there, both not only from the healthcare perspective, but, you know, what what is occurring with government entities may apply to me um and you know so they're ver- not necessarily keeping my vertical and just looking at my vertical but looking at all the verticals uh of industry to see if if their threats may fall into our you know uh, our our circle of influence there our you know uh we we need to make sure that we're keeping an eye on it all it's a big job yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, let's talk a little bit more about threat intelligence, which is an interesting topic. You know, nothing's cut and dry. There's always ways to manage it. You can be getting tons and tons of alerts. I've talked to a number of CISOs um, who talk about, you know, you have to have the people to to manage all these alerts, to follow up on these alerts. I don't just want alerts that I can't do anything with because I don't have enough people. Um so how do you how do you manage that? I mean, how do you decide what what information needs, you know, based on I guess how many individuals you have reviewing it, what needs to have action taken upon it and what doesn't? Yeah, so um obviously critical critical events are right there in our face. So we are seeing critical and high risk uh vulnerabilities right off the bat and and they are they are your your number one target. Um, so you kind of have to separate this out. 
we have a pretty sophisticated vulnerability management platform that uh, that we score vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we address them based on our scoring methodology and 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 how we uh, how we you know what we think the actual risk to the organization is. Um, and then um, at the same time you're dealing with the actual remediation of those vulnerabilities, you have to always have your eyes on you know uh, you know guys that are doing penetration testing, ladies that are doing, risk management. Um, you've got to be able to separate the team so that you've got your eyes always on the infrastructure and always looking for the bad actor. At the same time, you, you've got to have a team that can remediate the vulnerabilities that already exist. So um, we have a very sophisticated way that we do vulnerability management and risk management in our organization where um, there's a scoring and uh, we take them as they come, and uh, the highest scores uh, get remediated first, and then we move down the list. Um, and that is reviewed. Um, it re- it's reviewed with senior leadership uh, once a month and reviewed with uh, our team internally uh, once a week. Uh, so we, uh, we take that pretty seriously, and I think we've got a pretty robust process uh, that's been you know, we've had a lot of maturity over the last seven, eight years. Um, and uh, so we've gotten to the point where we've got a pretty good process for that. But it, it definitely has to be something that because you get if you just look at alerts, if it's not tuned correctly, you know, you can get alert, you know, fatigue. Um, so you've got to be able to pick out of your of your different systems or have them going into one platform where you can assess all the risk in one dashboard and be able to score that and say, hey, you know, these are the ones we need to attack first. And then, you know, uh, to kind of take that that approach with it. Um, alert fatigue is a, little, is a little thing. I was an engineer long before I was a CISO. Um, and I know from my own experience, if if you don't have the right software in place and you're not uh you don't have a single pane of glass to work from that it can get um it can get really confusing really fast so that's key <laughs> yeah so that's that's one I want it sounds like another element you were describing is uh if you get caught up in one area uh you might miss things going on somewhere else. So if you're caught up dealing with, with alerts or things like that, or dealing with one particular situation, things could be going on over here. Is that kind of what you were describing? Tell me a little bit more about that. A lot of the, a lot of these, uh, you know, so the sophistication of attacks has gotten, gotten exponentially better in the last five years. I mean, it's gone from, you know, uh, a badly typed email uh, to you know to some to someone who it, it's re- you know, easily recognizable to um, really convincing looking phishing emails and and things like that. So there's often misdirection put in by attackers mm-hmm. where maybe they're performing a denial of service in one area, hoping that you're concentrating there. While that's not really the 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 main goal. The main goal is, is that they're doing an end around, right? And they're coming in 
from a different direction, hoping that you've taken your eyes off of um, off of your other infrastructure to deal with the current with the current threat. So it, it's uh, it's misdirection um, and it's sophisticated uh, misdirection. So you have to be able to respond to the event, um, you know, in a thoughtful way, and then also still be monitoring the other areas of your infrastructure to make sure that the attackers aren't taking a back door or something like that into your network. It's it's uh, it's just like regular military strategy. There's decoys. It is. It, it is. That's exactly that's exactly what it looks like. You know, uh, I was in you know like I was in the uh, ROTC at Virginia Tech, and um, you know we studied you know kind of you know warfare and 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 how to deal with you know um, you know basically how to deal with how to how to make battle plans things like that. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that has really come useful in, you know, in cybersecurity is understanding, understanding that misdirection, understanding where the threat can come from and not keeping your eyes, keeping your eyes over here at the same time you're remediating the, the current threat. Um, so, yeah, you're right. It, it's a lot of military pipe and, you know. Um, very, very interesting. Well, um Let's talk a little bit about that. I have to bring this up because it's very interesting. Yeah. Now, you uh, were an IT director, for, a director for jails and prisons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was which is pretty wild because you were doing that. That you didn't have a security. You wasn't a cybersecurity position. It was IT director, right? But it was in for a jail. Right. Now you're yeah. doing you're doing cybersecurity for a hospital. So yeah, really. Did you now? Here's the question. So. Did you learn anything in that environment that, that either made you want it to go into IT security specifically as opposed to general IT um, or in that overall environment? Did you learn anything that sort of you took with you? Yeah. So, you know, uh, I was very fortunate to be able to, to learn, uh, yes, basically a systems engineer um, at, uh, I started out, you know, kind of in uh, accounting. I did that for a while, for about 10 years counting information systems. Then I moved into the corrections side where I was, I was able to be a systems engineer there. And I had, um, I was dealing with everything from hypervisors to the physical servers, to the security. I was kind of your one-stop shop, right? So I was, um, you know, I was pretty much a, a generalist and had to deal with all of it. Um, so that taught me a lot about um, I had to deal with the firewalls. I had to deal with firewall rules and security and endpoint detection response, things like that. Um, so I was involved with security all the way from the beginning, all the way through, you know, when I got to the jail, you know, when I got to Hanover County, um, where I was uh, directing the jail there, uh, you know, that when I got there, they really had not a lot of infrastructure per se. So I had to go in and do not only cybersecurity, but physical security, biometrics, yeah, scanners, uh, you know, you have x-ray machines for x-raying, you know, baggage when it comes in and different, you know, your x-raying, you know, different things that come through when people come into the jail. So, uh, so it it was extremely interesting. Uh, We rolled out a program there where uh, it was the first jail in the country to have really tablets uh, where the inmates could uh, actually do video visitation and 
things like that. So having to secure a network where you are giving um, you're giving people who are uh, they are, uh, you know, not obviously not convicted of a crime, but they are um, they're in, you know, in jail waiting trial. But giving having to secure that kind of network um, is is really uh, is really interesting and and came with it some unique challenges. <laughs> I yeah. bet I bet, yeah. and there are probably some unique stories you could tell me if we weren't on the record. Oh yeah, yeah. So it, it's it was interesting, <laughs> um, and, I, and I love it. It gave me a lot of um, autonomous. Uh, you know, I could. I could go in, I could build my own servers, I could learn about hypervisors, I could, I was building all that stuff myself and creating the security rules and putting in the firewalls. And so through my whole career, really, I had as a systems engineer, I was dealing with security the whole time. Um, and then when I got into in the healthcare vertical, um, I was, you know, really recruited um, by, a, by a former professor uh, mm-hmm. and a uh, great guy. And uh, he got me in the healthcare uh, realm, and I started basically just in networking. But we worked closely with security uh, because of firewall. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then when I got to W Medicine, it was UK. Okay, now you have the incident response team and the network team, uh, and that's what I manage uh, here for three and a half years. So I work closely with the CISO. I handle the incident response team. Um, and so I was kind of in the know on <clears throat> the daily goings on, um, of the security, you know, security infrastructure happening. Uh, so it was an, it was a easier transition into the role now. So that's kind of a, a, a overview of the career, career and how security got in it. And my degree is in that as well. So, um, you know, I went, uh, I am, I'm, have a degree in networking with a concentration in cybersecurity. Uh, so I've always, the end goal has always been to be in cybersecurity and, uh, to, to end up in, in this role. So, uh, very thankful that, you know, W Medicine has given me the opportunity to do it. Let's, very good. Let's talk a little bit more about governance, which you mentioned before, governance team, um, of executives at the health system. Um, this is one of the things that, you know, from people I've talked to is just to have the proper governance in, in so many different ways from a security point of view and IT to make sure IT is working on the right things and spending its resources in the way the business really wants. Um, and then from IT security, you know, you can get into all that third party risk and, and application vetting. Um, everything's a lot of it's a lot of success seems to flow from proper governance. Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts there? So um, it is critical that you have transparency and communication with the business uh, operations. Um, when you're, you know, a lot of people run into trouble when they are siloing IT and operations and there's no input from the business. Um, first and foremost, security ought to be a business enabler. And we are, we should be there to help uh, the business. Um, and so, with a governance committee, you want to make sure that you've got a nice cross section of not only IT professionals, but you know, privacy and security, you know, risk, um, you know, compliance, you know, legal team, HR, um, and then also you know, 
Met Staff Affairs and um, your, you know, you've got research going on in one area. So you kind of have to divide it up, right? So you can't, if you get all those people in one room, it becomes a, a bit of a quagmire. So we kind of break it up into different um, different committees uh, that all encompassing become cyber governance. That way we can have pointed conversations. So I'll I may talk with my privacy officers and and legal staff um, in one meeting, and then in another meeting I'll talk with uh, my research team to understand what projects they're approving and what's coming through the research side. So I'll have those that that meeting and then I'll have, you know, an over, you know, we'll have an overall meeting with everybody involved. It just kind of covers updates of, OK, here's what's going on throughout the, you know, throughout the the enterprise. Um, um, and, you know, in addition, you've got breakout meetings with your different companies within within the, the system, um, all of which have, you know, you need to take into consideration their needs, uh, because at the point where security becomes, and you and I both know this, but at the point in time where security comes, you know, there's a balancing act between operations and security. And that is a, that is a tight line to walk. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you don't have your business, um, on board and you, and they don't have the trust in you, uh, from a security perspective and, and understanding that you have their best interest in mind. Um, you know, I think if you if you approach it like that, it, it gives you uh, better visibility into each area, as well as understanding, OK, what are the, what are the goals of the organization and how do I align my security goals with the organizational goals? And, and translate those organizational goals into a security mind and a, a security perspective, and and that's critical. So, and when we talk about governance, uh, you know, you what you described earlier, you said, well, I have all these people, and if you had them all in the same room, you used the word quagmire, it would be kind of messy, right? It'd be too many yeah. people, wouldn't work. So we don't do it that way. Um, I'm sure that there are lots of organizations and even in your organization where there are still certain parts of the governance program that you say, you know what, if, even if you're just saying it to yourself, I don't love this committee structure or I think other people should be here or we meet too frequently, we don't meet frequently enough. You know, if you drew it on a chalkboard, you'd say it's not quite right. This is what I like. To me, governance seems to be so important and nobody's going to have a perfect and it should evolve over time. Right. It should get better. It should be a living thing that that people in your position can say, hey, when you have a meeting with somebody, you say, listen, I think it would work better if this was destroyed or this is how it worked. So it's got to live and breathe is my thought. What do you think? That's exactly right. I mean, as as the as the threats change and the in the landscape changes, we try to be as agile as possible where we can you know, change committees, we can move members, you know, and, and we can even, you know, maybe we're spending time and we don't need to be spending time in where we're not getting actionable intelligence and actionable things are not being done. Uh, when it gets to that point, I feel like our leadership team here is is very open to uh, moving things around, adding new people when we need when we need input. Um, and it's it is it's a living, you know, kind of organism where it's constantly evolving and changing. 
as the needs of the business and the threats and the risks um, are evaluated. Because it's probably easy to look at it as set in stone, right? Because it's a structure, oh, yeah. it's written down somewhere. So it's very easy to, to go, oh, this is our governance structure. I don't like it, but it is what it is. So, But it shouldn't be looked at that way. It's got to be looked at as malleable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that setting anything in stone like that, I mean, for policy purposes, uh, um, you know, keeping you know, keeping the governance team, uh, uh, keeping the ability to move the governance team around and add new members away, that can be just as part of the policy and, um, you know, as anything else. So uh, you can write that into your policy and procedure. It doesn't have to be a set in stone. You know, these are the members of the governance committee. Right. Um, the fact that you have a governance committee, and whatever that it may be. You've got that there. Um, it doesn't have to go down into bullet points where we have all the members of the governance committee listed there. Um, and, you know, we follow NIST heavily um, and uh, we have gone through a process with them to make our, uh, you know, our policies and, and documentation, things like that. Um, but obviously, some of these some of these documents are living, breathing documents that need to be edited, uh, you know, when necessary. Um, and so that's that's what we do. That's kind of our our methodology. Uh, NIST, you mentioned NIST. Um, high trust seems to be a big favorite now among some CISOs that I'm speaking to. They like to see that. They want to see that stamp on a vendors they're working with. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting to me. It's it's it makes their job easier. Right. So some third party has kind of stamped you and taken a look at it. Um, but what are your thoughts around sort of high trust? Um, so we have a very sophisticated security risk assessment process. Um, I have often found that I we are asking questions to these vendors that are high trust or SOC 2 certified. <laughs> and they they do not uh, they do not meet our security risk assessment. Um, because I think we're asking the right questions. And oftentimes what I see is they may be high trust certified, but we are asking questions that they didn't think about. And they will often say, I mean, these are big companies uh, that are, you know, Fortune 500, you know, type companies. I mean, these are big boys. So they'll often say, well, nobody's ever asked us that question. Well, we're asking that question because what we're trying to do is make you better make you a better vendor. So that's how we kind of approach it. We're going to ask the tough questions. And hopefully what that does is for the next hospital down the road, it makes the vendor better for all of us. So it's really, we challenge, you know, high trust certifications all the time. Um, there is no certification that would, for us, we would say we are not going to do a security risk assessment because they're high trust. Um, because, you know, it just doesn't, a lot of things are left out of that high trust that we believe that need to be standard. Does it make you feel better if you're still going to do your assessment, which is probably a higher level than whatever stamp they come with, but does it right. still make you feel better if they have the stamp versus if they don't, or does it not matter? Uh, you know, to me, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, and, and, and because the questions that I'm asking are far deeper questions and and also based on our experiences right a lot of the questions that formulate that SRA are 
questions that, you know, we've run into over time, you know, over the last 15 years, we've run into these situations. And so we add those questions in. Um, and these are definitely questions that a lot of health systems are not asking. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's, it's, it's scary. Um, we've seen some things implemented other places where we would absolutely say there is no way we are implementing that in our health system. Um, so that's, that's an issue. I want to make my other health systems and my other, you know, um, in the vertical, I want to make, I want to make us all better. Um, and so that's why we do is you know, a deep, less, you know, SRA as we do. And if you've got an internal customer that's that's begging and pleading and saying this is the best thing ever and it's only one of a kind and this is the best, it's got the bells where I want it and the whistles and we're going to save lives and we're going to change the world. And Hunter, why are you getting in my way? <laughs> Let me buy yeah. this thing. And what are you going to say? It happens every time. So here's the here's the, the, the best response that, that I have come up with. We can do anything, right? It's so the answer is yes, if right. It's never a, a hard no, because I want to help the business, I want to help the physicians, I want to help our patients. So as long as the vendor can modify their product to meet our checklist of things that we must have, then we can do anything that we want to do. I mean, it as long as the right security controls are put in place then we can move forward. But oftentimes you'll find that people, you know, vendors get stuck in that area and don't want to play ball necessarily. Uh, And really we're all on the same team. So I try to tell them, hey, I'm trying to make you better. Uh, This will help you down the road when you deal with other health systems because they're probably going to ask a lot of the same questions that I'm going to ask. So, you know, if you modify your product to have these, controls, then I'm making you better. I'm making the healthcare system better. I'm making healthcare vertical better. I'm improving all of our lives. And I think that's where we need to be. You're um, going to hold the line and you're going to fight the good fight. Yeah, we're going to hold the line. And, and if we have to, um, we will We will not. I mean, there have been many times where the vendor said, you know, we just can't do that. And we said, well, you know, when you get that, thank you for your time. Uh, come back to us. Yeah, but they also then they go back to the internal customer and they say, listen, Hunter's yeah. just not he's being unreasonable. Then the internal customer calls you up and says, Hunter, why are you being unreasonable? You know, what's great. What's <laughs> great about my organization is that my board understands that security is a top risk. Right. For us, mm-hmm. uh, my CEO understands that and is extremely you know, a visionary. And then my CIO backs, if there is a security risk, he's going to back me mm-hmm. on security risk. Mm-hmm. And uh, as long as I'm able to articulate that and it makes sense, um, then I have all, I have everybody behind me um, for support. And that's, that's the key. That's the key. That's the key. You have to have great leadership. And by far, out of every organization I've worked for, my leadership here, says, I will back you and I've got your back here. And, you know, you do what you need to do to keep the organization safe. And, uh, and I appreciate that. And it makes my job easier. 
If you're a CISO and the situation I described happens and you get the call from the CEO or the CIO that says, just, just let it go, Hunter, just let it go. That's, that's not going to work long-term if that keeps happening, right? You keep getting undercut, so to speak. I've never, I've never had them do that. Um, I've had other organizations where they call and said, okay, we need to make this happen. All right. So what do we need to do to get this make to make this happen? Mm-hmm. We'll put controls around that to make sure that that's safe. Um, if we have absolutely exhausted all controls, um, you know, there has to be somebody to. So we have we have a pretty mature risk acceptance module. Mm-hmm. So when we when we calculate a risk, if the organization's risk, um, if if our risk appetite is okay to accept that risk, um, then a senior leader will have to accept that risk and say, I'm, I'm okay with accepting that risk. Yeah. Um, and we, when we document that and so, uh, and we keep it visible, right? So it never goes away. (laughs) We're going to continue to talk about that risk, you know, 10 years from now. Right. With a name attached to it, with the name of the individual that decided to accept it. That's right. And there's some responsibility that has to be had from everybody in the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, If, if they're willing to accept the risk, I'm okay with that. I just want to make sure that we've documented it and I keep bringing it up for visibility purposes um, so that the organization, we, we're very transparent with the leaders. They have to know what the risk is to their organization. There isn't there's no secrets. Mm -hmm. It has to be in the upfront in their face so they understand the risks, so they can make an educated decision. Right. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. Well, Hunter, I've taken a little more of your time than I promised. And no, I, I really enjoyed it. I really thoroughly. I did too. So thank you so much for your time. And I think the readers are going to enjoy this. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks, Anthony. We appreciate it. <laughs>